The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, the, the song that uh, David read from, you know, we just heard prayer of somebody that recognized their need for you and uh, saw themselves in a place of desperation calling out to you. And then, Lord, the song we just sang, we're singing those same words. Lord, kind of a strange prayer this morning, but I pray that you would help us all to see the, how desperate we are and therefore cling and run to you. Uh, teach us this, Lord, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, Jesus said, uh, he did indeed. In the last few weeks, we've looked at the final words of Christ, the final seven sayings of Christ on the cross, uh, the, the, the words that he uttered from there. Now we got to go back to the beginning, and this is kind of a little bit the vision I have from the beginning as we go back and we look at some of the major ser sermons of Jesus. Probably the most famous sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's in uh, Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, so we're going to launch right into that. You ready? Right there from the beginning of chapter 5 in Matthew, we see that uh, the crowds uh, gathered and he went up onto the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, my little vision, my little plan was, okay, we got uh, three chapters here, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We want to get through this first Sermon on the Mount by the end of April, so we're going to do one chapter a week, chapters 5, 6, and 7. So I took off down that road, ready to uh, get, uh, you know, shoot through chapter 5 of Matthew. But I started, of course, with this verse. This is where he started. First words of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I started to dig into that. Before I knew it, I had six pages of notes just on this one phrase. And I thought, good night, that is so deep and that is so rich. I have so many different quotes. I thought, hey, that's a good one. Uh, you know, that, and uh, I, I just kept writing and I got so excited. I thought, well, I'm not going to do a great job of getting through all of chapter five with this. So actually, we are going to, this is a little bit rare for me, we're really just going to focus on digging into this one verse today. And if I can illustrate with one other thing as, as to a little bit as to why, many years ago, uh, my uh, wife and I were invited to uh, go skiing. Now, uh, I was in my 20s, I know it was BK, before kids, uh, in one of those years. And so I'm in my 20s, uh, my wife had been skiing before, I'd never been skiing, but the youth group was going over to Swiss Valley to go skiing, and they said, you know, you need a, we need a bus driver, you want to drive, and you and Francis could come. So uh, there's only about 15 kids, I remember it was between uh, Christmas and New Year's, we went over there one evening, uh, and um, I, I was pretty pumped, you know, I thought, skiing, yeah, this is going to be fun, how hard could it be? And uh, I had this sweater that my dad had given me, it was old vintage sweater, sweater like, you know, sometimes when you visit your parents, oh, take this, you know. I didn't want it, but I took it, but I got it out. I got to tell you, I looked incredibly cool. I look like I belong on a ski slope somewhere. I was pretty impressive looking. Uh, so I, had, I layered up, put the sweater on top, and, uh, and we're heading over to Swiss Valley. We get there, and, you know, everybody's getting ready and everything. They said, now, if you've been skiing before, you're over here. If you've never been, you need to come over here. So, I, okay, I went over there. Well, they sent me over to the Bunny Hill. 
And uh, here, so here I am, standing over there with about 12 elementary age kids and one woman who looks scared to death to be unskied. Uh, and we're over there on the bunny hill. So I'm standing there, you know, looking, feeling not quite so cool in my sweater at this point. Everybody else in their little snow pants um, with superhero characters on them and everything. So I'm standing there in, the, in this row, and she starts giving the instructions and goes through the basics of how to stand. And she says, now, I need to teach you. This is very important. I need to teach you how to stop. And I thought, this is just, I can't take this. My pride could not handle being there. So I started to sneak off to the back, and I headed over to the slopes. Uh, everybody else was all, already over there. And um, I was a little nervous first time even about the chairlifts, you know, coming by. So the first time it came, you know, as they were, as one people were getting off, they had ridden down the bottom. I got kind of excited. I ran over there, and I jumped on. I said, I'm safe. But I did it too soon. There were still people up in the spot where they're supposed to get on. So when I was already in the seat, so, you know, these two guys are sitting there. They look back waiting for the chair to come. Uh, they're standing there, and they see me. <laughs> Hi. Uh, how are you? They had to dive out of the way in the snow pile. Said some things about my family that I don't even know how they knew. Uh, but uh, they weren't very flattering. It wasn't very kind. Some of the things they, they said, they were downright offensive. Uh, but, you know, but I got up to the top of the hill, and uh, I did pick an easy slope, if you want to say it like that. And I came down. I think I made it all the way down the first time without falling. But sure enough, I'm getting to the bottom. And, uh, you know, there's this line again waiting for the chairlift, and I'm heading right for it, and I have no idea what to do. <laughs> you know, well, I forget. The whole section about how to stop, I wasn't there for that. And uh, I had no choice but just to bail. You know what I mean? Just roll. Uh, and I, sure enough, I rolled into a pile, a nice little pile right by the little folks that were standing in line. I found out that that sweater my dad gave me is really good at picking up snow. Uh, and I, I kind of turned into a big snowball. And we'll just say the rest of the night was not all that good. Uh, it just wasn't all that fun. In fact, I think I still have some back problems from it. And I never did go skiing again. But the, uh, the, the whole thing is this. I skipped. They said, hey, you got to start here. Here's what you need. Now, the reason why I'm okay about spending a long time on this particular verse phrase is the more I studied it and all the little commentaries are saying, hey, this is the first words of Jesus as he begins teaching. And this really gives us a foundation not only for the start of our Christian lives, but for Christian growth. This is what you need. In fact, they said the Beatitudes that we go through are actually incremental. In other words, it's how to be, hey, this is where you begin. You can't miss this. You have to have this. This is so important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So it's worth us taking a little time to get down the basics before we're heading for the slopes of growing, uh, if you want to say it like that. So let's tear apart this verse just a little bit more before we dig into the poor in spirit and what that means. Just that word I want you to think about with me for a minute, blessed. Okay? Anybody ever tell you that? Have a blessed day. There's a lady, I think she's retired, but she comes back sometimes and works down at the marathon station. I don't, some of you from Edwards work probably know who she is. And she always gives me that. You know, have a blessed day. She calls me darling, too, which I don't know if that's appropriate. But, uh, but uh, have a blessed day, darling. And, uh, well, but anyway, have a blessed day. Isn't that a nice thing to say? There's another lady I know at the dollar store down by Target. She always gives me that. Have a blessed day. It's kind of nice to hear you like that. But if you think about it, when we think of that word blessed, 
you know, okay, what exactly? You, you probably have heard, well, that means happy. Well, that's partly right. It does have that idea that we're happy in that. And you think, well, that means, you know, that we've found God's favor. God has poured his favor into our life. That is also partly right. But if you think about it in the context, okay, have a blessed day. Think about the Beatitudes, some of them. Okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. So I might say, hey, have a day with a poor spirit. <laughs> Is that what that means? It doesn't sound real encouraging. Blessed are those that mourn. Hey, I really hope you get the chance to mourn today. <laughs> That'd be my greeting at the door as you leave. Hey, mourn today. Uh, I hope it comes your way. I hope you get to mourn. Doesn't sound all that happy. Be meek. Again, that's nice, but it doesn't sound like an encouraging word. Hey, go out of here and be meek. Uh, and how about this? Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness. <laughs> I really hope all of you get to experience some persecution today. Have a blessed day. Experience persecution. So how in the world does this really make sense when you dig into this? What does this mean when, when it says blessed? How, what does that mean? Well, let's look at that second phrase. Let's look at the idea of what it means to be poor in spirit. In the Greek language, there are a couple different words that are used for poor. One of them is just the idea that you need to work. Um, I think in today's vernacular, it would be like you're paycheck to paycheck. Okay, you're not comfortable to the place. I mean, you got to work. You know, if you're going to eat, you got to work. Okay, most of us would say, hey, I'm poor. All right, uh, I got that down. But um, the other word for poor, which is the one that is used here, is for somebody that is destitute. Okay, they got nothing. Okay, and that's the word here. Blessed are those that are destitute. The word spirit really has to do with the, 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 the very person that you are, your life or yourself. So this phrase really has the idea of being destitute of self. Now, that might not sound all that encouraging to you, but what it is saying is it's not talking about having a low self-esteem. It's not talking about having a fake humility. You know, I've said that before a lot of times when, you know, I say, oh, I just think at that. I'm really just fishing for compliments. Sadly, my wife has learned that, and she just agrees with me now. <laughs> yeah, you were pretty bad. Francis, you missed the point of that. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that you need to just downplay yourself all the time. You know, you go in for a job interview, and somebody says, hey, why should I hire you? And you say, well, I don't know. <laughs> You really shouldn't. I got nothing to offer. Uh, now, of course, in today's job market, you'll probably still get the job. But the um, but still, but you know, the idea of just poverty, as far as of self, means more. This I recognize my position before God, or I recognize my poverty when I stand in God's presence. Uh, when Jesus wrote to the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation, uh, some of you might remember this church was described as lukewarm but when Jesus wrote to them he said you think you're rich but the truth is you're poor and what we need to understand that in the presence of God as we stand before him we can remember this phrase we have nothing with which to buy the favor of God okay we're empty we come empty-handed we have nothing that is going to earn us a stature with him when Isaiah came into the presence of God, he said, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. He goes on, and then he talks about the, the fact that he said, woe is me, for I am undone. And when we draw closer to God, when we come uh, you know, ourselves to know him better, when we see God, uh, let's remember it like this, when we see God, we see ourselves differently. Okay? And someone made this statement, pride can only live in someone who is far from God. 
Now, um, on this lower screen up here, I have this phrase. We'll come to this later. But what I want us to see more than anything today is the connection between the poverty of spirit and closeness to God. Okay, pride can only live in the heart of somebody who is far from God because as we come close to God, that is going to show us who we really are, and quite frankly, it is going to drive the pride out. When we realize that I have nothing to offer God to earn his favor, I didn't when it came to salvation. I couldn't come to him and say, God, I deserve heaven. I did not. That's why Jesus paid the price for my sin and made it possible. There's no way I was going to earn it on my own. But even today, I do not come to God and let him know. <laughs> yes, uh, I do not God and let him know everything that I earn and everything that I deserve. Okay? I'm not going to come to him with that approach. I want to come to him poor in spirit. And I hope as we go through this, we'll be able to see the connection between those two things, that we, the connection to God and the poverty of spirit. To help us, I want to just look at a few different um, passages of Scripture. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Okay, here's what God says. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also I dwell with him of a contrite and a lowly spirit. To receive the spirit of the lowly, to revive, I'm sorry, revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. I dwell with the one who comes with a humble, lowly spirit, with the one who realizes that I need God. Uh, Patience uh, had recommended that song that we just sang today and that prayer from, from the psalmist. And uh, she came in this morning, she says, I have a new song. I like to, you know, I talked to David about singing, and, and I looked up the words, and I thought, yeah, that's really exactly where we are as far as what we're talking about. We, we, uh, we recognize the need. We recognize where we are. I need you today. And that's what I want us to focus on and develop in another passage in the Old Testament, the psalmist wrote, O Lord, open my lips. By the way, Psalm 51 is probably the most famous of what are called the penitential psalms, the psalms of repentance. It is believed that David wrote that after his fall into sin. Uh, but towards the end of it, he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And that, I, I so much love this about the psalms. Again, we're in verse 15 now. By the time he gets around to this and he's been praying, his focus is just on praising God. This is where he comes to when he talks to him. He said, I will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it and again David's living in the time of sacrifice David's living in the time when they're going to the temple and doing this but he says that God that's not what you're after you are not excuse me uh, you are not pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart you see what God is saying here is so much I want that uh, it's about, about what's going on on the inside that's eternal, but that your heart is, is broken and, and, uh, and you come humbly before God and say, basically, I need you. One other passage in the Old Testament, Joel said, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments, not the outside stuff, rend your hearts, return to the Lord God. He is gracious, merciful, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Come to him with your heart. That, that's what's the important thing. Now, so when we talk about this idea of being blessed and having poverty of spirit, let me illustrate this. Occasionally, um, someone will call the church here and, and ask about getting married, okay? Uh, I mean, you know, could we use your church for uh, 
It's a ceremony, you know, can, can we have the, have the wedding there? Um, usually, I ask a couple of follow-up questions, and they lose interest real fast. Uh, we won't get into what, what those questions are, but usually I talk to them about coming in for some counseling and everything like that and the importance of marriage, and they lose interest. One of them that pursued through, sorry, this is off topic just for a real sec. I, I don't know if I ever told you about this. I did a wedding one time for a couple, counseled with them. I thought it was a good thing, but we did the wedding over at the Adams Chapel. No, uh, yeah, Adams Chapel on Redfield, the old church over there. And, but they didn't tell me. I, that's not Smith Chapel. Smith Chapel. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Why, maybe their name was Adams. Somehow Adams were in there. Uh, but they, uh, they, the wedding was on Halloween, and they told me it would be kind of unique. I didn't know until I showed up there. They were doing some theme, some movie that I wasn't familiar with, like Nightmare Before Christmas or Halloween or something like that, and they were all dressed like that for the wedding. You know, so I came in. Okay. Uh, my, so after that, I've been more careful. But, the, <laughs> but anyway, I got a call this past week, actually, and uh, I just happened to pick up the phone, and they, they were saying, hey, you know, could we, you know, would, could we use your church? And, you know, I was talking to them a little bit, asking them some questions. They said, well, we just want to get married in church because we want God to bless our marriage. Now, that's a nice thought. And churches are nice. I like church. You might say, that's me, too. I want a church wedding or whatever like that. But to be very honest with you, that's not significant as far as that is not how you get the blessing of God on your marriage is by getting married in a church. Okay? That's the external stuff. If you want the blessing of God on your marriage, what you want to do is start with a humble spirit. You want to start being poor in spirit. In other words, what you want to do is start every day and say, God, I can't do this well without you. I need you. God, I need you if I am going to love my wife well, if I'm going to love my husband well, if I'm going to do this. God, I can't. This, this, hey, our world is tough. Marriage is tough. It, it's hard. But there's not like some magical whew, Oh, you got married in a church. Well, that one's going to make it. You got married in a garden. Well, you might have nice tomatoes, but your marriage is going to stink. You know, uh, it's not like God is going to bless you because the little look. <laughs> I'm not sure what I just said. Uh, I, I'm not sure God is going to bless you specifically because of where that where you got married, but this spirit that is poverty of spirit that says, "God, I need you." So you want God's blessing on your child rearing. I got my kids in church, put my kids in, well, good, get your kids to church, but bottom line is, have that poor, come poor of spirit, God, I need you, okay, I can't do this without you, take that in every area of your life, you want to have a blessed life, then you want to approach it poor in spirit, God, I need you this day, I cannot make it without you. I love the, song, the songs that we sing that cry out with that because we forget that all the time. We always think we can handle it on our own, but God is looking for that broken heart, that contrite heart, that heart that comes to him and says, God, I cannot make it without you. Folks, that is how our Christian life begins, and it does not begin any other way. That is how it begins, and that is going to be the foundation for our growth when we continue to remember that we need him. Now, what does this look like? How is this going to show up? in our lives, one of the things that we'll stop doing is we'll stop writing God's job description. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, telling God how to do things. Okay, God, if you were, you're on the ball. Why? Because I come with a different attitude. I come recognizing my need of him that he is God, that I am not. I'm not telling him how to do everything. In other words, my sense of entitlement has just gone out the door. 
Okay, I don't have that anymore. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, there's a story of two men Jesus told who go to pray. One of them comes to God and says, God, uh, I've been a good boy. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I've done this, this, and this. Kind of like, okay, God, so I got some good stuff coming. The other one comes and says, God, I got nothing. Okay, I've been a bad boy. I need you. And again, very much a paraphrase there, but, uh, but the, the, the idea is the one that realizes they need God, the one who comes humbly, the one that comes with a broken spirit, the Bible says that's the one who walks away with his prayers uh, heard by God and answered by God is because of his recognition of his need of God and not his reliance upon his, his own self. A second thing, very simply, when we have this poverty of spirit, we will pray. And I, I don't mean to be condescending or preaching when I say this, but this is just a simple truth. We stink at prayer, okay? If we honestly, we're great at saying, I'll pray for you. And we're great about talking about praying. But, let, but if we're honest, and this is across the board surveys that people do, I'm not trying to be preachy or mean. I just, let, let's realize where we are. We have a hard time maintaining much of a prayer life many times. Because uh, I do that. If I were to ask you, what's the last time you asked God for something? Or what is it that you ask God for today? You know, most of the people are going to, I mean, I got nothing. You know, I'm not really praying. But when Jesus, and this comes later in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is, is teaching there, uh, and he's teaching them to pray, he says, how do you pray? Well, first of all, you say, Father, like this, pray like this. Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's praise him. What's the next phrase? Give us this day our daily bread. I need you today. I need you to make it through today. It's not, well, there's nothing big today. I've got this. I can handle this. I need him. Okay, I need him in every area of my life. And, and to recognize that and stop and, and say that, I will begin to pray when I understand the poverty of my spirit. A guy by the name of Thomas Watson, famous old school preacher, but he said this. He said, the poor are always begging. And that's good. When I realize my poverty, then I'm coming to God all the time and saying, God, I need you. I cannot make it without you. Now, this is kind of a weird illustration again. Um, over the course of my adult years, I have lost about 200 pounds. Hold your applause. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you say, whoa, you, uh, yeah, no. Um, it's actually, and this is not a health tip. Do not take this anyway. I've lost the same 20 pounds a bunch of times. Uh, or you know, different because now though actually I think I am about forty pounds down from when I got here, but uh, but uh, but the same twenty pounds again. That's not good health measure, so I'm not recommending that at all. I think the fluctuation uh, is not good for you, uh, so don't don't go that route. But in my youth, okay, every time I would get to the place where my back started to hurt a little bit, my clothes didn't fit. It was time to go on a diet, and we did some freaky diets. Okay, there, there was, I don't know if anybody remembers this. There was a woman, her name was Gwen Shambliss. I remember her name, but she had this big thing and it was sweeping like churches. You know how they do the financial peace thing with Dave Ramsey? They were doing these workshops with her. I forget, oh, way down just came to me what it was called. Way down it was called. And churches would come and all do this and you're supposed to eat half portions of everything. No matter what you're going to eat, eat half. You want a Snickers bar? Fine. You can have a Snickers bar, but eat half of it. I did. Then I ate the other. Uh, but no, actually, I was real good. Uh, I was real good. And, you know, I'd lose my 20 pounds, and then gradually I'd go back up, and then I'd have to try something else. Somebody got a hold of one of these diets they get out of the hospital for losing weight fast, you know. We called it the tuna diet. Monday through Wednesday, we ate exactly what was on it. Suffered terribly. Every Thursday, I had to 
pizza all by myself for a while. And you can eat whatever you want. But again, it worked. I, I lost the weight and everything like that. Again, not recommending that, but I spent my whole life kind of going up and down and up and down. A few years back, about nine years ago, uh, a counselor talked to me and he said, hey, you know, you understand that this whole thing, every area of your life is spiritual. And he said, you know, this is something you need to walk through with God. And since then, part of my journaling, part of everything like that is my diet, what I'm eating, and my weight. Kind of weird. I mean, if you looked at my journal, my weight for the day is, is on there like that. But it became a spiritual walk. Now, here's why I wanted to use that to illustrate it. That walk that I had with my weight is the same walk that many of us have in our spiritual lives with everything. Do you know what I mean? I did better for a while, and no, I'm not so good. I did better for a while, and no, I'm not so good. I did. That's where willpower gets us. We can do better for a while, you know, and then, you know, and you know, I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to spend some time in the Bible. Good. I'm going to go to church. Good. I'm doing good for a while, and then back down. And we ride that roller coaster all the time. Well, he said, hey, you're doing that in your own power. He said, I guess it's good you don't weigh you know, 400 pounds. You haven't kept all that weight on, but at the same time, this isn't good for you. Let's, let's, let's make this a matter of prayer. And that might sound like a weird thing, but it, it has revolutionized that aspect of my life for sure because now you know, I make that part of my daily walk with God. And what I'm saying is let's move that over into the other areas of our life. Give me this day what I need. God, I need you. I can't make it without you. That is the lesson of today. If we're going to be close with God, it is intricately tied to this poverty of spirit. It has to be there. Pride in God, our pride in God, that's not going to bring us together. But when I recognize my need of him, that is going to bring me closer to God. A third thing real fast, just to realize that happens when we have this poverty of spirit, we get in a position to receive. Again, that Thomas Watson guy I quoted before, he said, he said, how can you accept the gold that God wants to give you when your hands are full of pebbles? But it is that idea that if I have, uh, I'm filled up with my own effort and everything I'm doing and everything that I want and all my possessions and these are the things I fill my life with, I'm not in a position to receive from God. And if I'm clinging to all these different things and my own strength and my own effort and the things that, that uh, extra stuff I put in my life, then my hands are not free to cling to God. Some of you might remember the hymn that says, nothing in my hands I bring only to the cross I cling. But you can't cling to that cross if you have all this other stuff in your hands. So what is it that I'm trusting in and relying upon that is keeping me from understanding poverty of spirit? Now, before we leave this, though, uh, just to reemphasize this idea and this connection for a couple minutes, I want you to do this with me. I just want you, let's just take a minute, take a deep breath. Ready? How's that? Relax. Yeah, take another one. Feels good. Why can you do that? Do you know the Bible says very plainly that God is the one who gives us our breath. Our very life comes from God. And if we can recognize that there is nothing my very life I depend on God for. The breath in my lungs I depend on God for. If we can recognize that move, moving forward, that's where this poverty of spirit begins. I have nothing. I cannot purchase uh, God's favor. I cannot make it on my own without him. One other thing, too, and I have mentioned this before, but last week I was reminded of this. We were reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in there Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles. I've always loved this journey through Paul's life. 
in Corinthians, he writes and he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Three years later, he writes to the Ephesians and he says, I'm the least of the saints. Three years later, he writes to Timothy and he says, I am the chief of sinners. Now look at the progress there. He started off saying, hey, if you compare me to all these 12 that are closest to Jesus, I'm probably the least. And then he says a few years later, he says, you know what, if you compare me to all the Christians, all the saints, I'm probably the least. And then three years later, he says, you know, if you compare me to sinners, I'm the worst. Uh, like that. Now, is this because he has a low opinion of himself and I'm just a loser? No, it is much more recognition of God is such a winner. And the closer we become to God, the, the more we see this. This is a good quote. I'm hoping some of you have heard it before. But this idea of being poor in spirit or being humble before for God is not See if you can finish this. It's not about thinking less of myself. It is about, am I know? Well, thinking more of him, that'd be good, but, but this is a clever, more clever way to say it. It's not about thinking less of myself. It's about thinking of myself less. Oh, yeah. Come on, you've heard that, some of you. Don't, at least t- tell me you have. But, but, as I, but again, what I want you to see is this connection here. If I am going to know what it's like to walk with God, it is going to be because I recognize my poverty in His presence when I stand before Him. I'm going to be like Isaiah. You know, I'm not going to come into His holiness and walk out and say, hey, what a good boy am I. I'm going to say, He's incredible. And compared to Him, man, all I can say is I need help. All I can say is that I need him uh, desperately. Okay, now let's talk about what the blessing is. Okay, blessed are those that are poor in the spirit. Well, what is going to happen? Remember, God says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of interesting because it's in the present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you read the other Beatitudes, it's in the future tense. They shall be, they shall be because of this. But this one says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is something that you have now. Heaven is, of course, when I am with God. But right now, I can have a taste of that in that God is with me in my humility, in my trusting in Him. So therefore, I can experience His peace, His comfort, His joy. The Apostle Paul wrote some, and he said, So let no one of you boast in men, whether it's in yourself or other men. Don't boast in men. Okay, it's not about that. The closer you are to God, you're going to make much of God. The further away you are from God, you're going to make much of men and self. For all things are yours. Okay, now, he's not talking to God here. He's saying, for all things are yours, you people, Paul, Apostle, uh, Apollos, Cephas, or the world is yours, life is yours, even death is yours, the present and the future, they're all yours. Why? Because you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Because you are in Christ, and because Christ is in God, all these things belong to you. And I loved reading through that. And this is why I say, you know, we, we celebrate Easter and talk about the fact that death has no grip, death has no power. This is awesome. Yeah, you know what? I own that bit. I own that feature. Now, uh, Jesus, he said, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And there's definitely the idea, uh, you know, understanding here that in death there's this victory. This is where the payment is. This world, we're not going to see everything. But if you want the blessed life, come humbly before me. Try, you know, learn to trust in me. Navigate this life with me. And there is great reward in that. Unfortunately, though, very often our hands are full. Uh, We are, uh, some of you saw 
uh, went and saw recently this movie. This was out, The Jesus Revolution. And that takes us back into a time in the 60s, uh, if you're not, not familiar, but uh, some of you have seen things about the 60s. Some of you lived through them. Uh, but uh, the 60s was a time when uh, people were so dis... <laughs> Listen to this description. People were very dissatisfied with the political leadership. Okay, nobody was, uh, Lyndon Johnson wasn't all that popular of a president after Kennedy, and then you had Nixon, and you had a whole Watergate scandal and everything like that. You had a war that people weren't sure why we were fighting and didn't completely understand everything. You had a lot of unrest, and you had a lot of mistrust in this. So people are looking for answers, okay? And uh, the drug movement, of course, went crazy. You know, the drug problems went crazy, and then the sexual revolution, everything like that. Now, that doesn't sound at all like it's continued or maybe escalated again today, does it? Do you think maybe we live in a day when people are figuring out more and more that our answers are probably not going to be found in the next guy we elect? I, and I, I don't mean, you know, if you're a big fan of one, one person or other, okay, but, but just be honest with me for a second. Haven't we figured out that's not going to change everything? You know, you know, may, I, you, know you might... You might love Joe or you might love Donald or whatever like that, but to be real honest with you, if that's the next, next selection we have, there's a lot of people who are kind of like, okay, <laughs> really, is that, where we're, is that where we're going? There's a dissatisfaction. And, and how about the drugs? Again, you know, I mentioned this before, but, you know, we watch them line up here in Edwardsburg over and over again at the, at the dispensaries, you know, and I'm guessing most of those people are not my people my age trying to get a little relief from, from lower back pain. I'm guessing that. I, th I think I'm right on that. Uh, and then, you know, as far as the sexual thing goes there, you know, don't we see that again? And, and listen, so many folks and who are looking for an identity, you know what I mean? You know, my sexual identity or, or what, whatever ever like that, they're looking for something to fill up their life. And if we can remember that, you know, sometimes our attitude is such disgust. Ah! But if we see that the people are empty, folks, if we can remember that and we can see they're looking for something to fill up their life and they're filling up their life with all these many different things. And therefore, in a lot of cases, there's no room for Jesus. Uh, some of you, um, I know, are very burdened and, and some have experienced in the past, some are experiencing it, it now, but because of somebody that you love very desperately who is, who is walking away from God, and you watch them go down a path of destruction. And your prayer, of course, is that they'll turn around, and your prayer is that they will not destroy their lives you know, on this path. And yet, sometimes you almost pray, too, that they'll come to the place where they realize you know, just how low they've hit. And they'll come to that. Uh, you know, Francis and I were praying for somebody for quite a while. And, you know, I know that was her prayer is just, you know, that he would see his emptiness and, and just realize that and then turn to God. That is the place. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Okay. When we come to that place where I realize I've got nothing to give to God. I need to, I, I have nothing in me that did not come from his hand is the way the, the Apostle Paul wrote it. I have nothing that he didn't first give me. I'm completely dependent upon him. Have you come close enough to God to see that you're bankrupt before him? That would be the question of the day. Okay. Um, I mentioned as I tried to 
be honest with myself. And I've, oh, by the way, let me go back for a second. The prayers that we have for people like this are, you know, we, we think about the prodigal son. I love that phrase in his story in Luke chapter 15 where it says that he came to himself. You know, he finally took and said, hey, we're going to have a good little sit down here, conversation with myself and realize that I am empty, realize this isn't working out, realize I need something else. But as I, as I think about this idea here, um, I mentioned that in my own, like, evaluating myself a little bit on devotions, the first thing I try to ask myself each day is, am I close to God? Okay? My little acrostic, I changed it for the first letter is C, and the first thing I talk about is, am I close to God today? This, this is so completely connected. Okay? I am close to God when I get up in the morning and say, God, I need you. Okay? God, I, I need you. You know what? God, I, I want... You know, I, I think I have a pretty secure marriage after 40, almost 41 years. But God, I know that can be attacked and damaged so easily. I need you because I, I want to I keep that. I want to keep, you know, loving my wife well. I want to, you know, be a good father to my adult children now, to be a good grandfather. God, I, I need you for those things. God, I'd like to be a good pastor here. And, and you know, I can, I can study what other pastors do and everything like that. But more than anything, God, without you, what good am I going to be? So I need you. And I want to encourage us all today just to dive into that phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, again, it's not beating myself up. It is not, oh, yeah, I got to see how lousy I am, everything like that. Truth is, if we're honest, most of us know we, you know we got some issues there. No big deal. It is more about lifting him up. But when we see his greatness, then we see our own poverty. When we see the riches of who he is, then we see our own poverty. And if I could encourage you to you know, go from here today and just see this connection, that a closeness to God depends upon that attitude in my life. If I am going to grow, it is going to be because I recognize that I need him. It's not going to be through willpower. I'll have some good spurts. I'll do better for a while, but if I'm really going to grow, if I'm going to mature in him, it's going to be through this. And by the way, the Christian life begins with poverty of spirit. It begins when I say, God, nothing in my hands I bring. This isn't about me being good, going to church, giving money or anything like that. This is about me saying, God, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I couldn't pay for the sin on my own. I couldn't do it. Um, I needed somebody to take my place and trust in you. Everything hinges on blessed are the poor in spirit. I've been debating a little bit. You know, sometimes I like to you know, close with a little song with a little zippity, you know, put energy in your step or whatever like that. But, and I'm, I was not familiar with that last song we, we come. But I'm going to ask, ask you guys to come back up. And I'm, I, I know it's, it's new to a lot of us, and that makes it a little bit harder to sing. But we can listen to... Uh, the team sing it a little bit or we could sing it again just because it really is a prayer of God I need you I need you more than anything and uh, yeah hope, hopefully that is something God use the other thing if, if anything um, that I'm sharing you know brings a question to mind I'm not really even sure exactly what he's talking about there I just want you to know I hang around here afterwards would love to talk to anybody who has any questions Inter, uh, pray with you or introduce you to somebody who could pray with you um, because you know there's part of me okay last week was Easter remember that there's part of me that says man I wish every Sunday could just be yeah just kind of like a fun day 
uh, like Easter and we could just celebrate. But there's some different dimensions. And uh, <laughs> they call this for preachers, they call this letdown Sunday. Uh, because the Sunday after Easter, and I, I don't really feel that way at all. But what I do, f I, I have felt very impressed with is I would love to get us to see that connection. Okay, if I'm going to be close to God, it's going to be because I am poor in spirit. I understand that before God, I have nothing to offer. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.